Hello and welcome to Comic Book Herald's Green Annotators. I'm Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com. Today, I'm very excited to be talking to an excellent, excellent comics creator, the author of the new upcoming all-ages Wingbearer graphic novel, uh, also the author of books you might know like Monstrous, runs on Astonishing X-Men, X-23, Han Solo. It's Marjorie Liu. Marjorie, thanks so much for joining. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. and Thank you so much for having me, Dave. Absolutely. No, I'm excited to talk to you about Wingbearer. So Wingbearer is your first all-ages middle-grade graphic novel, the story of a young girl, Zuli, who leaves the comfort of her home with uh, the spirits and animals among the trees to venture out into the, the quote-unquote real world, right, and uncover the mystery of these uh, bird souls have gone missing, okay? So it's a fantasy, uh, all-ages style. Alongside her owl companion, Zuli runs into the likes of goblins, dragons, a whole bunch more that I will not spoil. And we're going to talk about this in detail. First question. <laughs> First question. And, and, and we will talk about this, you know, as I've, I've had an advanced look at the work, right? So we're not going to try to spoil anything, but definitely I do want to talk about the full scope of what you're doing here and what kind of brought you to it. Um, I guess first thought is, you know, so you haven't played in the all ages space like this. Um, what inspired Wingbearer? Like what kind of children's or all ages stories um, were kind of the impetus for, for launching into this particular style of story? Well, you know, it's interesting because it wasn't actually a planned move. Um, it was an idea that I've been wrestling with for over 10 years. And the protagonist, Zuli, is young. Um, and the story felt young. Um, and the energy in my head felt young. You know, that sort of youthful, uh, earnest vibe that, you know, anything is possible. The world is good. You know, all one needs in life is your friends and courage. But I definitely didn't start out saying, uh, you know, I'm going to write a, a middle grade um, graphic novel. You know, that, that never works for me. Um, in fact, it usually backfires completely. Uh, for me, it's characters first. Um, and once the characters have told their story, then I see where the book fits um, age-wise. You know, until now, pretty much, pretty much it's only been for adults and, and uh, older teens. <laughs> Um, and, and Wayne Bear is the rare exception. You know, finally, finally, I have a book I can show children, which is a miracle. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I could, I could maybe show my kids some of the Kippa bits from Monstrous, but that's it. They have oh, to no. only read the Kippa cut. <laughs> I know. It's so sad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. So that's interesting. Um, what were, what were your, some of your favorites growing up? Um, uh, stories more in this vein, like, did you have go-to oh, you read over and over? Oh, I did. I did. Um, so the Chronicles of Narnia, um, Lord of the Rings. I mean, some of these are just the old classics. Let's see here. Anything by Lloyd Alexander, anything by Tamara Pierce, Robin McKinley. You know, I was a real fantasy head. A fantasy, fantasy was a way for me to escape. Um, you know, I, I think I'm one of those strange people, or maybe it's not so strange, but I'm one of those people who has trouble remembering things. Um, I actually have terrible recall when it comes to real life, but not anything that's in my imagination, mm. strangely. Uh, so I can, I remember my, my childhood made up adventures um, just as well or better than anything uh, perhaps that happened to me um, in real life when I was a kid. You know, that's how, how, deep I was in my sort of fantasy worlds. And so books, stories that evoked that, that, that took me to other places, um, that's, that's where I lived when I was growing up. 
Sure. No, absolutely. Well, and definitely the, that connection to fantasy is obviously something that is a big part of your of your catalog, both in comics and without building out these really detailed, lush fantasy worlds. I mean, I think that's monstrous is definitely the one I'm going to keep going back to, you know, this <laughs> book that I'm the most familiar with. But obviously that is like that is such an appeal. There's so many different types of reason uh, readers and, and the reason or a big part of the reason I think it's had so much success. How do you differentiate as you're launching Wingbearer? like the the scope of the fantasy and the rules and sort of the the differences between all these worlds you built out it's a really really good question i mean i would say i'm a very thematic writer mm-hmm. over the course of my career there are certain themes that i keep coming back to over and over again it doesn't matter uh doesn't matter quite what i do you know i'll start out thinking well this is going to be unlike anything i've ever written before and then suddenly there's a theme that pops up that you know echoes um, echoes territory that clearly my mind and my heart are still wrestling with. So family is definitely um, one of those themes. Being an outsider is definitely one of those themes. The idea of um, friendship and sort of the healing nature of friendship is another one of those themes. But that said, the thing about world building. I mean, everyone has a different, you know, way way of going about it, but but for me, definitely, it's character first. And so, the thing about the world of Wayne Bear is that it always started with Zuli. Mm-hmm. Zuli um, is the heart of the story, and I wanted to tell a story about a little girl whose moral compass is ferociously loving. Mm. And what I love most about Zuli is how she falls into this adventure with an open, courageous heart. She didn't grow up alone, but she felt alone because there was no one else like her. And so she's searching for friendship and she's searching for solidarity with almost everyone she crosses paths with, which isn't easy. Yeah. Um, it's not, you know, she's grown up surrounded and nurtured only by kindness. And basically, you know, she finds herself in the real world where kindness is in short supply. You know, it's a world of magic and collapsed empires and they're conqueror witches. And there's this also this terrible conspiracy around winged creatures. And so this is when it came to the world building around wing bear, in some ways, I won't say it, it definitely wasn't simpler than monstrous, but I had a clear, I had a clear view of it because monstrous is a very, um, Monstrous to me feels like a very ancient world with a lot of different conspiracies, a lot of different kinds of people. And Wingbear is the same, but in some ways the the world of Wingbear, because I was focused mostly on winged creatures, on I was focused mostly on Zuli and Zuli's perspective as she enters this world. What we see in the first book is in some ways, a very narrow look at this world, which made it easier for me. And then in the second book, which I've already written, it grows, ex- expands. We see you know, more of the people who inhabit this place. But for the first book, I was really trying to keep the scope quite small because the world mattered, but the world didn't matter as much as Zuli and how she was moving through it and what she was discovering about herself um, in the process. Whereas I feel like with Monstrous, um, it was it was both. 
you know, I was, I, I really bit off a lot with Monstrous right from Jump, um, where it wasn't just, you know, it was everything. <laughs> it wasn't just the world as seen through Micah. It was, a, I was trying to do a full immersion where basically people would just be dropped in the middle of something that was alive and old and, and um, broken and just, and just jump from there. Yeah, no, it's interesting. It, it definitely makes sense. I mean, I think, yeah, with Wingbearer, the hook, the focus is so much on on Zuli and how good mm-hmm. she is. You know, it actually reminded me um, a little bit. It's a totally different kind of story, but the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt oh. um, and just this character where it's like they come and they they enter the broken world, if you will, but they're mm-hmm. so good and they're so earnest and it's it's so impossible not through for them. You know, Zuli definitely has, I think, a lot of that um, in her where and, and then you just have to there's almost a fear, I think, as an audience, as a reader that like, oh, no, they're going to see how bad other people can be or how bad other creatures can be or some of these problems. And that's going to corrupt them or that's going to break them. And then the, <laughs> the challenge becomes like, no, they, actually, sometimes they can win out. Right. It's a it's a it's a tricky challenge, I, I imagine, to write. Well, it is. And, you know, everything she knows and understands is challenged. And it's a test of her resilience to stay true to herself. But I think the beautiful thing about this character about Zuli is that she is just, she's really good. Mm -hmm. She's a really good person. And, you know, and she's going to have to learn how to compromise in ways that she's never had to do so before, but she knows herself well enough. She knows who she is. She knows what she believes in that she's willing to stand by her beliefs no matter what. And so it's a really, she's a, it's weird. I think it's, um, I get emotional sometimes when I write monsters because it's a very intense book, but writing wing bear has been an even more emotional experience. I think because she, because to get in touch with Zuli um, is means to get in touch with, you know, a a part of myself that is still really young and, Mm. and sort of innocent and super earnest. Yeah, no, I can see that. Well, and there's definitely, I mean, the narrative about a journey out of a great safe haven into a scarier, you know, part of the world like as a parent of small kids that definitely struck a chord right like that for me like that was where the metaphor i was like okay yeah like this is this is scary to watch this to watch someone you love and someone you care about you know enter enter a space where you can't protect them from those things um i was wondering what's the what's the metaphor for you are is it elements of that is it of you know that protective nature of trying to get um you know to to protect like kids or is it something else just inhabiting that space of that youthful earnestness and and not necessarily being able to control all the outside forces. That's such a good question. That's a really good question. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> well, no, because I think, you know, it's interesting because um, coming back to what I was just saying about having to tap into a part of myself, like, a, you know, I guess another, you know, a younger part of myself, my, my dreams when I was a child, my fantastic adventures, we're always about going into the unknown. You know, that's where my imagination lived. That was the whole, you know, when I would dream up quests, when I would dream up adventures, it wasn't about, it wasn't about dealing with the familiar. It was about dealing with the unfamiliar. And I think, you know, as a small child, the unfamiliar can be very scary. Um, you know, it's this idea of, uh, leaving home, leaving family, venturing out to the world by yourself, which is big and bad and scary, and yet somehow triumphing, and you know, and learning new things. And so, 
I, and that, that was a part of my imaginary life. And I think that when I was writing Zuli, um, I guess consciously or unconsciously, that's what I returned to, you know, that youthful early fantasy that I will, would always have of venturing out into the world as this, not fearless, because Zuli isn't fearless. She's scared. and She talks about being scared. But that despite the fear, going out into the world and being curious and letting that curiosity and letting, you know, um, letting some kind of faith in the world just guide me instead of, instead of being ruled by fear and just basically staying home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I think staying home for me was the death of adventure. Yeah, yeah. And there was a real impulse in me from a young age to go and, and venture and explore and learn. I love that. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, and I wanted Zuli to have that because I think, again, you know, I, well, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know what, it, what it's like to be a child now. You know, I grew up in the eighties. I grew up in, you know, um, yeah, I spent my formative childhood in the eighties when we were sort of just encouraged to, you know, pushed out of the house. <laughs> You know, whether we wanted to be or not. And, and that, you know, that was, that could be unnerving. You know, again, the world, the world is sometimes, you know, a scary place for kids. But I think imagining ourselves, even, you know, from a young age is having resilience and courage that the world maybe isn't as scary as we think it is. And that whatever we encounter, there's an answer, you know, we can, there's an answer for us. There's something to learn. Um, we can be uh, we can be challenged, and and it's and it's just part of the adventure. Yeah, uh, I, one piece that I, I've seen throughout your work that I I think connects to that, and and it's here in Wingbear as well, definitely in in you know as, as much as anywhere else, is the types of characters we meet or the types of creatures we meet. Often there's an expectation of what they might be like, and mm-hmm. then I think you do a very good job of either something subversive where it's totally different or just like turn it on its head. And it's like, well, yes, they're a giant dragon, but they're, they, they don't just want to eat you. Maybe they want to eat you, but they don't just <laughs> want to eat you, right? <laughs> There's nuance to it. Um, how consciously are you, when you're working on these characters, like, are you like, okay, this is the, the cliche of the, of what this type of creature is a goblin or a dragon or whatever. Um, I have to do something different. Or is it more just like, you're trying to make it interesting for yourself. Like, what? It, how, where does that kind of approach come from? Again, a great question. Uh, I, I think most, it, it's both. It depends. It really depends on the situation. I think in real life, no one is ever exactly who we think they will be. Mm-hmm. Sometimes for the better and sometimes for the worst. But, but people are full of surprises. And, and that's wonderful. And I like bringing that into all the characters I write. That that no one is, is people always defy expectations. Yeah. And, and I think that's very real. I think that's real life. And I, I like that. Um, I like creating that in my work as well, you know, sort of subverting, um, what we expect of certain, you know, of, of certain characters and having fun with it. I think it's really fun. People are fun. And I like, I like deepening that fun when I, when I build characters, you know, I, um, complexity can come in a lot of different ways. And I think having fun with characters, you know, not, um, locking myself in to, you know, how a dragon should act, um, or a griffin, 
is it just it gives me room to play and i think it's fun for readers as well yeah no that makes sense um you've written um at the end of uh the first collection of monsters the hardcover the first 18 issues that they're thematically interconnected i think by a few things but you've written how they're connected by survival yeah um in these experiences your, your mm-hmm. grandparents had you know in i think it's world yep. war ii if i'm not mistaken what's the what's the same sort of well i guess let me rephrase it this way so in Wingbearer, i think there's few spaces where there might be connected tissue and maybe a, a similar thematic connection but there's a lot early about reincarnation and i was wondering um why that particular theme jumped out to you with this story what it, what was important to you to to get through there well it's really interesting because i think it was an organic natural byproduct of writing about death and you know i like i said i had the idea over 10 years ago and it wasn't really until early 2019 that um that it's a long time, um, but it wasn't really until early 2019 that the story finally congealed for me. Um, and early on, like I had the sense of, of you know, of bird souls being reborn into a tree. That was kind of always there, but I, I hadn't really dug deep into it. And in hindsight, an element of spirituality and sort of philosophy, um, you know, sort of seemed inevitable simply because birds are being reborn. One has to deal with the question of death, you know, what is death, you know, and how does one think about it? You know, how does one rectify oneself to it? And this, you know, Zuli having grown up in this sort of basically bird heaven has a very different idea of death than anyone else. You know, she's not scared of it because she sees how these birds are reborn over and over and over again, that this is just part of a natural cycle. And so there, that gives her a fearlessness that not many people have simply because they haven't had this really profound experience that she has had. So this idea of reincarnation, um, this idea of sort of being philosophical about death grew very organically. And of course, you know, I listen, I grew up in a family of practicing Buddhists. So it's not like this was, you know, I, I, drew, I, I drew upon this out of thin air. You know, this has always been, you know, part of my, you know, um, it's been part of my background, but, but it wasn't something, it wasn't something I really intended to write about. It just, it just came out of this, you know, this very, you know, originally this very simple idea. But then once I really started thinking about it, you know, it raised a lot of it raised a lot of interesting thematic questions in the story, and it raised a lot of questions for Zuli, you know, um, and how and how she interacts with people, and like this other world. Yeah, for sure. What what was your favorite part of writing Wing Bear? Like, what are the what are the memories for you that were just like the most fun? Well, I wrote the first three pages like ten years ago. Those came out of me just you know, just kind of just, whew, just flew out of me. And then I, and then I sat with those, <laughs> those three pages. So those first three pages were a joy and then nothing happened. Mm-hmm. Like I tried, I re- <laughs> yo, I really, really tried to, to hammer this, you know, there were lots of fits and starts. There were times when I thought I had it and I thought this book was like green light and then I would have to back off it. But, but when I finally started, when I really cracked it, when I, when I started flowing into it, I really loved writing Frowley. I really loved writing. Mm, it was the yes. characters. I really loved writing Frowley. I really, this, you know, her grumpy Al guardian that hangs out with her. I really loved writing Orion. 
um, sort of the, the, the young goblin boy that she meets along the way, um, who becomes her friend because he's so, uh, wounded, you know, Zuli isn't wounded. I mean, she's, she's sad in certain ways because she was abandoned. So that in and of itself is a wound, but he's just been wounded by life in ways that she hasn't and has never, couldn't really conceive of. And I really enjoyed sort of his cynical viewpoint about life and, and writing him as a foil to Zuli. And so those three, you know, the three of them together um, really brought me a lot of joy as I was writing, because just the way they would interact, the way they would talk to each other, I loved writing their dialogue. Um, I loved dreaming up what a world of winged creatures would be like, sort of both culturally, um, philosophically, politically, um, how, you know, people, perhaps people with wings are not viewed as well as people with wings, um, how people with wings might not, um, might not uh, have the same status as others with wings um and just the all of it all of it was a lot of fun for me to think about but no it was ultimately it just came down to the characters cool cool so you said you're you said you've already written book yeah. two in this series mm -hmm. so now that you now that you're rolling like is it all like is it all just pouring out like is it coming oh yeah easily suddenly? yeah and like now yeah. like I, I i really um it was interesting writing the sequel was a lot of fun uh, it took me, you know, to, as always with any with any second book, um, you, you have to sit with it a little bit because you're like, OK, well, you know, the first book was this. So, you know, I don't want the second book to be crap. So <laughs> let, me, let mm -hmm. me really you know, think about what I'm doing here. But yeah, but the second book um, expands upon the world. Uh, it deepens sort of the mystery, but we get answers. We get some good, solid answers um, about what's happening. Mm -hmm. And. And it ends on on another uh, really interesting cliffhanger, and we get more griffins. We get to see um, that what's the plural of Pegasus? Pegasi? Ooh. I actually don't know. <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah, Pe Pegasi. Peg that sounds better than than Pegasus. Pegasuses. Pegasi. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. we get to we get to meet um, a Pegasus. Um, we get to mm. see more dragons. We get to see more goblins. Just the world gets bigger and deeper and even more interesting. And that was super fun. Super, super fun to write. Awesome. Awesome. We'll definitely look for that. So yeah, we're going to link to Wingbear, um, you know, volume one here uh, in the show notes. But yeah, good. To, that was one of my questions was like, how long do you see this going? Um, what's coming next? So book two is already in progress on the way. Um, it, it, how Do you have a definitive book number? Kind of like, okay, this is a five book series or, or we'll see. So we'll have to see. I mean, um, you know, just... In practical terms, we'll we'll see how Wingbearer does. Yeah, uh, the the art here is is fantastic in Wingbearer. When uh, when did you start working with um, Isak Henian on the on the art side? Oh my gosh, I mean she's yo she's amazing. Um, working with Tenny has been a dream come true. Uh, and you know I write a script, but the thing the thing about being a writer, I can't draw right. Um, and the wonderful the wonderful thing about working in comics has been collaborating with amazing, amazing artists. And, you know, I, I had like, you know, quote unquote ideas about how I wanted certain things to look, but really the evolution of the visual world rested in her hands. And she brought with her this deep practice of inspired and nuanced world building and visual character development that was just stunning, absolutely stunning in its depth and its breadth. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, Tenny puts so much loving attention to everything she does. And I got a real masterclass just from collaborating with her over the last couple of years. She asked all the most interesting and important questions about what it would be like to inhabit this particular world. And she would incorporate the answers into the art. And so from the flora and fauna to the different landscapes and all the peoples, from the griffins and the manticores and the goblins, she created this lived in and textured world that I personally would love to travel through. And so, I mean, my admiration for her is endless. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great stuff. All right, cool. So again, we're going to link to Wing Bear here in the in the show notes. Definitely recommend people check it out. I think that should be out here early March, um, but we'll have that all ready to go. Uh, should align here more or less when hopefully when you're hearing this episode. So I did want to touch <laughs> on as well um, the the comic side uh, with Monstrous. So that that series debuted in late 2015. Yep. Um, it's a long run. It's been going for a long time. We had, yeah, it has. came out. Yeah. <laughs> um, you mentioned. You know, I'm curious. You mentioned earlier in this that you don't have great recall for like your day to day, but like your imagination, like the, the recall there is really strong. Um, how does that work for, for monstrous? Like, do you have a process for remembering events and lore? Cause there's so much, um, or does that like actually come to you pretty easily? You know, it's, it actually comes to me pretty easily. I mean, there, I won't lie. Like every now and then there are things that, that I forget just because there's so much. And so mm-hmm. I think it's, I periodically re, re I, I listen, I never reread my work. Because I just mm. I just don't want to just cause I typically don't want to go back there. But yeah. um, but when it comes to monstrous, I I do periodically reread through the series or at least skim it just so I can get a a refresher um, to make sure I'm not forgetting anything uh, really important that I should follow up on. Mm. And but for the most part, I'm I'm just relying on sort of my lived in sense of the world. I feel I I feel like I live in monstrous. Um, and I suppose to a certain degree I do. So, and, you know, and when you live in a place, when you're, when your imagination is deeply immersed in that place, um, I think it's for me anyway, um, it's easier to, re- to recall the world and the characters and what it is that I'm supposed to be doing. And the same, the same is actually true for Wayne Bear as well. Oh, very good. Yeah, no, I did that, that definitely checks out. I think with the way you've been talking about these and just the they feel lived in, right? I, I think, mm-hmm. you know, Monstrous Wingbearer already. Um, one of the, I think, really cool aspects of Wingbearer was as it starts out so um, insular, just sort of by by the nature of like, okay, we're within this haven and we're getting to know these characters. But then as we venture through the world, um, it, it again has that thing of like, oh, okay, I kind of want to get to know what's going on with the goblins here. And like, you know, the, now there's this whole Griffin tribe showing up and like all these things that are, that definitely, you know, beg further exploration Mm -hmm. um and and i think that's that's great so with monstrous though uh in the publication calendar so there was about a half year break between issue 35 and 36 um i'm curious like what did that break afford you and and how do you feel creatively coming back to the series at least in the release calendar now well you know we typically take about a six month break um between um between arcs simply because the book the book is a lot to draw um and sauna is just this tremendous, tremendous artist who gives it her all. And we like to give her, we like to give her like, you know, about two months per issue. Um, and so that six month break allows her to get a head start basically on, you know, drawing the book. And it gives us time to sort of develop and deepen and think about the story. It's really, it's really good for us. I mean, it used to be that we tried to, to, to work on it a much shorter time frame, and we, we made it, we made it happen. 
but it wasn't comfortable. Mm-hmm. And I think that when one is is working on a book that's going to be as long and as complicated as this one, um, one one wants to be um, one wants to make things as easy as for oneself as as one can. <laughs> basically, <laughs> sure. yeah. I don't I don't want Sana to burn out, um, and I don't want to burn out. Um, we still we want to be able to approach each issue and each arc with that sense of of sort of um, wonder and you know, and, you know, sort of intense creativity and, and, and sort of joy, you know, for me, it's, what's interesting is that Monstrous is is not by, by any stretch of the imagination, a light and fluffy book. Um, Mm. But I feel a lot of joy when I write it. Um, I I come to the book with a lot of love and I really love these characters and I really love this world they inhabit. And, and I, I enjoy um, going on the adventure with them. Because even though I know the broad strokes of, of where the story is going, and I even know how it ends, I've actually written I've actually written the final pages of the final issue. I know exactly mm. how the story ends. I don't know how long it's going to take to get there, but I know, I know what the end looks like. Mm. But even with all of that, the characters still surprise me. Their interactions still surprise me because there's a part of me that doesn't like to overplan. I like the spontaneity of the moment when the imagination does something that is unexpected, when something just kind of turns on in me at the spur of the moment in a split second and I'm writing and something new comes out that I didn't expect. And the same thing happens with Sana's art where Sana, you know, um, will draw something unexpected. Sana will um, create a character that had like just a character, like Kippa, for example, was supposed to be a throwaway character. She was not supposed to be a major part of the book. And what happened was Sana just, Sana drew her. And the design, Kippa was so alive on the page, visually. She had so much spirit. And there was just something about her that was so, I don't know. um, She struck me very intensely when I saw her. Mm -hmm. And I I thought, wow, like this character needs to be a major voice in Monstrous. And, and that only happened because of Sana, because of, of, of Sana's work. That's wild. Yeah. It's so, it's so hard to imagine Monstrous without Kippa at oh, the stage. You the book know, would be, it's, the it's book would be trash. <laughs> <laughs> I can say it. The book would be trash. Like there's just no, there's no possible way the, the book could have, could have lived um, without Kippa. And Micah as a character could not have lived without Kippa. She sure, could not yeah. have healed and, and gone on this adventure and grown without Kippa. And so, so, so both of us, we need space to, to be in that zone of sort of um, creative spontaneity. And, uh, and, and that's why we need just a little bit of extra time between arcs to do that. Yeah, yeah. So that, that actually segues into, I had a question here I, I put out to Twitter um, if anybody had questions for you that I, I put in some of the best ones and Zach from comics bookcase asked, uh, that he was curious about the scope of monstrous. Um, so you mentioned, you know, you've written the final page. You don't know exactly how long it'll take. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, he said that, you know, he's been there since day one. He feels like oh. he has absolutely no idea how close to the end we are. It could end <laughs> arc or go another hundred. Issues. <laughs> Do you have a sense of the scope? Um, or is it kind of all just like, as long as you're, as long as you love it creatively, you're into it. And then like, when that stops clicking, that'll be the time. Nah, I mean, listen, I know the book is going to end. Like it's, it's, yeah. I'm not one of these people that's going to just, you know, I'm, I'm not going to drag it out. Um, 
But so I know how the story ends. Um, but I, it's, and a couple years ago, I would have said, oh, it'll end in like five or six arcs. Now I, I'm way more cautious of putting uh, around putting a number on it because I'm actually not sure. Um, it will end again. I know how it ends. Um, I just, I don't quite know how long it'll take to get there, but it's not going to be forever. Like, uh, will it be in the next five years? I don't know. Um, (laughs) maybe, maybe not. I, I, I'm beginning to think not, but, but it will happen eventually. And and not, not because I don't love the universe. It's just that I feel like good stories have an end. Yeah. Right. You know, and, and eventually this one will too. No, I think that's increasingly like as, as fans, I think a lot of times it's like, well, we just want the stuff we like to just never stop. But realistically, all the things that I love have endings. Right. <laughs> so I think, to, you know, generally and, and monstrous, certainly like the investment we have in these characters and in this world, there's a there's a playground there that, you know, could be explored forever and ever and ever. But it's also like, well, the, the story of these characters for it to be satisfying, I think, does have to get to an ending at some point. Yeah. And would I return to the universe? I, I could see that. You know, in fact, I, I like I, I, I know what another series would be about and what it would look like. Um, but but that I, I don't think will happen for a while. OK, so that, that actually was Zach's follow up question was, had you considered oh. telling other stories in that same universe, in the monstrous universe? So the answer there is is definitely yes. Yeah, uh, but... actually. Yeah, actually, it is. Yeah. And, and I already know what it's called. And and like I have a title for it. I just I don't know when that will happen. You know, would would that happen towards the end of Monstrous? You know, would it happen sooner? Would it happen after? No clue. No, no clue. It's 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 too far away in the future. Yeah, interesting. Have you thought about like letting others play in the playground? You know, and I think about books like um, James Tynion doing uh, um, something is killing the children, which had tons of success, and then kind of bringing in other creators, other writers to kind of write side stories and things like that. Or like um, Jeff Lemire has done a similar thing on, on Black Hammer. Is that something you've ever? floated or played with or not actually no yeah fair enough no i mean you know it's actually a really good question it actually has never occurred to me um i think i think because i'm so deeply immersed in the world that's a really that's actually a really interesting question it's it's really not wow i will have to mull over that yeah Um, no if it happens i definitely want um creative credit on all issues <laughs> it started here with dave yeah <laughs> no i think i think it'd be a lot of fun right because there's there's so much in that universe but obviously i mean the other the flip side to it though is this book is so wholly yourself and sonia and, and the rest of the creative partners right where and, and i think as readers that is that's important sometimes you know that it is the same creators that, that have kind of owned it yeah it's interesting, right? Because it's it's funny. Um, it, it's a really it is a really personal book. It's a really personal book for both of us. Yeah. Um, and so, I don't. I actually don't know what it would look like if someone else was writing in that universe, because so much of Monstrous has come out of Sana's blood and my blood, um, mm-hmm. and you know the. The stories we grew up with, the things we grew up with, our ex- personal experiences, um, you know, what terrified us as children, and but what, also what brought us joy. And so, because it's so personal, I actually don't know how that would work, having someone else write. But I, I'll, it's an interesting riddle. I'll have to think about that. Okay, cool, cool. 
if somebody's thinking about the book now and they they missed out on the wave to this point, right? Um, I would first off, just as a fan, would say definitely go back and read it. It's, it's super worth it. Uh, but if you're telling somebody like, okay, here's where we are on the arc. How, how are you selling this arc as like, hey, here's why you want to jump in? <laughs> oh, I'm the worst at this. <laughs> <laughs> you've literally chosen, you've chosen the wrong person to ask that question. Of. <laughs> um, well, listen, I mean, the new arc that started, um, it's, it's, these are the first issues of volume seven um, that just came out. And in the last arc, uh, we did something that I really hadn't done before in the series, which is why I, for two arcs in a row, I had Micah in one place, yeah. um, basically because I, I really didn't feel like I could, I feel like I needed more time in, in the city of Ravenna, um, that this wasn't just a one shot battle, that there were going to be ramifications that had to be dealt with specifically Micah finally seeing Tuya again. Yeah. And I don't want to say too much about that relationship because I don't want to spoil certain things, but it's probably the most important relationship of her life. And finally, they're reunited. And it's not cute. Um, And so that that reunion is really hard. And really, the whole point of the last arc was that reunion. It's bringing family back together. It's it's, It's bringing all the most important relationships of her life back together in one place and what happens in that moment you know what 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 what's the price of that what's you know, what's the price of having hope what's the price of trusting um this this you know micah is someone who basically had abandoned all hope her trust had been broken she had been broken and over the last six arcs there's been all of this healing that has occurred you know she's a very different person from where she started out in the first volume she's 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 grown, you know. She, for the first time in her life, thinks that wow, like maybe, just maybe, maybe, there's the possibility of something good in my life. Like all these years, you know, I thought that was gone. Like I, I really, you know, she's someone who really thought like life was over, yeah. and all she had left was just death and and just pain and you know and and. And just hurting other people, like because of just this this creature that's inside of her, like it was a nightmare. And and she's gone through basically hell, and emerged on the other side. And, and she's like, wow, like okay, you know, I maybe I can do this. Maybe I can live, and be a whole person. And just at that moment, right? Just at that moment, like what happens just at that moment when you when you when you're grasping that. And then, and then something else, something else happens, you know, that, that makes you possibly rethink mm-hmm. all that good healing you've been doing. So that was, that was what I, that was the whole point of the last arc. And what we, what we see in, in this arc, in this new arc that just started, uh, are the ramifications of that, of, of what happened at the very end um, of, of volume six, you know, and how all these characters are affected by this this one act um, and, and how they're going to pull themselves back together. Like, you know, Kippa is a character where I've, you know, she's always been agentic, but she started out sort of as this, you know, scared, scared and yet brave, courageous, but scared little girl. Mm -hmm. And she's still scared, but she's, but she's learned a lot about being agentic. She's learned a lot about being brave. She's learned a lot about sort of taking matters into her own hands 
over you know the last six arcs. And so we get to see that. We get to see you know the backstories of, of certain characters like Corbin. We get to uh, learn more about Tuya and why she is who she is. We get to see the Dust Court and the Ancients uh, in their home city. And so it's just, it's, this arc is um, a lot, a lot gets revealed in this new arc. Um, a lot is going to get revealed. And there's going to be a lot of uh, really interesting changes for these characters, simply because of the pressures that are being put on them to, to survive, sort of the, the strange politics of this place that they found themselves in. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. No, it's it's really, I, I've been consistently very, very impressed by the patience, I think, in the storytelling. Um, the fact that it feels like so much has happened and there's so much to take in, yet you mentioned some of those places, you know, like the Dusk and the Dawn Courts and exploring them. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, like we do. <laughs> like, I do want to see all that. That sounds cool. Yeah, too. we don't know jack shit about them. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah, so <laughs> definitely... <laughs> Definitely excited for more from that. Um, I highly, highly recommend people check out Monstrous. It was definitely one that I had put on the back burner for a while. You know, I read a bunch and then I kind of fell off. And then I was like, oh, I, like, I'm like i way behind now. Like, I didn't realize how far behind I had gotten. Um, and then catching up was like, oh, yeah, like, I really, like, reading this is, it, it's not, a lot of comics can go quickly and can be pretty bingeable. And there is so much meat on the bone of Monstrous. Um it's just like there's so much to it um, in, in all the right ways. So it's well, highly recommended. That's yeah. very kind. I mean, even I, as the writer, have to fully acknowledge that this book is not for everyone. It's, it's, sure, sure. it's a lot. It's, and, you know, deliberately so. But I, my, my goal, my dream, um, you know, it's funny. I was, I, was, I was going through some, you know, as, as one does during, during a pandemic when you have nothing better to do, I was going through some old journals from high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found like a little scribbled note, uh, that I had written to myself being like, I'm going to write an epic fantasy adventure. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. and, you know, I think there was a, I think there was a part of me that always wanted to write a big, meaty, um, dense, epic fantasy and, and monstrous, monstrous is, was, was, is my attempt at that. And, yeah. and you know. Listen, um, I decided to go all the way. <laughs> I, I decided not to hold back. I was going to go all the way. <laughs> <laughs> no, it definitely does. And it, yeah, it's it's paying off. So very cool to see. Uh, I did want to touch, you know, we got a little bit of time left. I want to touch yeah. a little bit on on your time with the X-Men. Oh, sure. Um, because I'm a, I'm a huge X-Men fan and I really love your Astonishing X-Men run and, and your other work. Um how many times a day does Marvel call you to return to X-Men comics? Two to three? Is it, where are we at? <laughs> you're, you're, you're really sweet. <laughs> That's really sweet of you. Um, yeah, never. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, like, would you be interested or do you have, I guess let's, let's back it up. Um, so the X-Men are in like a pretty interesting spot right now. They've got their island nation of Krakoa. They're, they're doing their own thing. Would you be interested? And, and if so, like what kind of characters or angles do you think you might want to take if it happens? You know, I I adored writing the X Men. The, writing the X Men was a dream come true for me, and I I had a, a minor mourning period, very unexpected, when my book was canceled. You know, I, I really missed those characters. Yeah, Warbird, Karma, Gambit, Iceman. Even though I'd been telling myself for years that I should never get attached because they're not mine, 
And so because of that, I've actually been really reluctant to get back into work for hire situations. You know, by necessity, I have to really invest if I'm going to write something. And I, I don't want to get my heart broken again when it's time to step down from a book. And it's a very different thing when you own something and you know that it's time to write the end. I mean, that's a, that's a way more natural breakup. And so I don't know. I don't know if I would go back to write the X-Men again, even though I adored doing it. I, I don't want to say never, because if that, if that carrot was dangled in front of me, it'd be like the, the, the Ferrari <laughs> pulling up in front of me and someone saying, you want to ride? I'd be like, mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. But yo, like I still, I feel like I still had stories to tell with X twenty three. I still had stories to tell with Gambit. You know, my, I, I, one never wants to repeat oneself. But on the other hand, I, I really, there were, I had unfinished business with Astonishing yeah. X Men. So I would, I, I won't lie, I would probably um, gravitate towards some of those characters uh, just to. You know, just to sort of finish out some of the things that I, some of the stories that I still want to tell with, with them. Um, yeah. But it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting question. I don't know. Sure, sure. No, I, I, I hear that on the on the creator own side, right? Like once you're you're in it and you own it, like why would you ever go back? You know. But then a lot of times it's like, well, because it's fun. Because <laughs> it is fun. good stories. Yeah. No, it's actually fun. I mean, I I have to say, like. Uh, writing the X-Men, writing X-23, writing Black Widow. I never had a bad time at Marvel. I always had so much fun writing those characters and living in those worlds because the characters had just tremendous life. They had tremendous, tremendous life. Um, and it's a really interesting thing working with characters who have as much history as the X-Men do, all the X-Characters. Um, there's so much to draw upon. There's so much history you know um the stories the experiences of the characters the relationships that are already built in it's this magnificent playground of just endless complexity and opportunity where you can go and dive in and really just have fun it's just tons of fun and i love that i really did for sure for sure no i'm i'm writing up the petition as we speak to get you back <laughs> on an, on a <laughs> on a laura book but <laughs> but i hear what you're saying <laughs> um we do have a a, a good question here um okay. from from twitter which was you know your your astonishing run you know which you mentioned um it's a really unique uh kind of unexpected team for the era you know like warbird right is this mm -hmm. character who like neither before nor since have i had like a super big investment in but during that run it's like yeah I, i'm a warbird fan i guess why why those characters like what what led you to sort of selecting that team and, and those explorations um where did that like inspiration come from Warbird had the possibility of being this, you know, one note warrior type who, you know, just has a certain way of thinking about the world and you know, doesn't have room for complexity, et cetera, et cetera. But what I found fascinating about her, for example, was just sort of exploring, well, you know, what if that isn't true? Right. What, yeah. What's up with the Shi'ar? And what's up with the Shi'ar is that, this, you know, that this is a character who secretly longs to be an artist. She secretly longs to not be just a warrior, but to actually express herself creatively. That's her big journey, sort of in during my run of Astonishing X-Men, to soften, to um, grow more complex in her you know, views about people and about what she's capable of. 
And there's this moment um, that Gabriel Hernandez Walter drew that was so beautiful. And actually, he gave me the page, and I, I have it up in my office where oh, she's yeah. contemplating, you know, um, this choice of being warrior versus artist. And you see both of her hands on the desk, you know, and like, you know, one is, you know, one is the soldier's hand and one is the hand that holds the, the pen. And she's, she's divided. She's really, you know, she's split between this choice because one, if it feels like it might be a betrayal of, you know, of her Shi'ar values in the way that she was raised. But then on the other hand, this is a part of her that is emerging, that she craves, that she's hungry for, that the people around her she knows would help her nurture. And it's this idea that it's not a weakness. In fact, it can be a strength. And so this, you know, and then also her, her growing relationship with karma, this deepening friendship, this deepening, this idea that maybe there could be more between them, which also goes against how she was raised to believe. And, you know, but she, she finds this growing inside of her. And so for me, Warbird was a character of endless opportunity to deepen character, to really explore, you know, someone who's, who's being exposed to new ideas um, and not sure quite what to do with them because she likes these ideas. You know, part of her really responds well to them, but she, you know, that's not how she was raised. And others of her kind would totally frown upon it. They would just be like, you're, you're, you are no longer Shi'ar. And so right. there was, there was that. And then, you know, Bobby, Bobby was another character of just, you know, when I did my deep dive into to Bobby Drake's history, I was like, yo, <laughs> <laughs> this dude, this dude has a lot going on. There's a <laughs> lot going on with this dude. And um, so Bobby was someone who I really wanted to deepen and explore because I felt like there, there was a lot that was unsaid about him. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of subtext, whether it was intentional or not, there was a lot of subtext to the stories that had been written about him and the relationships that he had had over the years. Uh, and I just, when I did my deep dive, I, I looked at the big picture and I was like, yo, okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and so, so there was Bobby. And then of course, um, you know, North star, Cecilia Reyes, Gambit. I just, I, you know, all of these different personalities working together as a team and a family. I just, I, I wanted to bring together individuals who we might not normally expect to get along, but in those conflicts, there's friendship. In those conflicts, there's learning and there's growth. In those conflicts, there's love. And the thing I always loved about the X-Men was the love between these characters, the friendships, the, you know, the ride or die sort of, you know, feeling that one would get from, from this team. Yeah. And, uh, and I, wanted, I, I wanted that. I wanted that to be the feeling people would come away with when they read the book, that these are people who are imperfect um, and they rub each other the wrong way sometimes and they got a lot of shit they got to work out. But at the end of the day, there's a lot of love between them. Yeah, yeah, no, it definitely comes through. I mean, it, it, with, with Bobby in particular, I'm curious, like, because that, that arc is so great and you're connecting Thank to Age you. of Apocalypse stuff, which is like my all-time favorite. Um, the Walter art is just like, oh, it's so glorious. Everything, I posted a cover of that just that i was reading that is that cover of like thor holding him um not not sexually <laughs> but like in battle <laughs> and that got a huge response just people being like oh i adore this arc so so people 
definitely have a lot of love for it. But you know, you're talking about okay, you're you're looking at his history and you're looking at the subtext and you're picking up on like okay, let's let's explore these relationships. Let's explore what's going on here. Did you have any inkling of like the fact that Marvel was was in the, in the Brian Michael Bendis stuff getting ready to no. you know, canonically declare anything? No, no, never, never, never. This was just me looking at looking at Bobby and being like, he's gay. Yeah, he is really this dude is really in the closet, and it's driving him insane. Like, like the fact that he cannot, he cannot be his true self. That his dad, he's got his dad on one hand, he's got just everything, everything. Mm-hmm. He's and that that his inability to sort of just look clearly at himself and actually be with himself, be with himself truly and and lovingly, is basically, you know, making him like just the the depression around it, the anger, all of it is eating him up, and. You know, and I really, I really want to, you know, even though I, I didn't come out and say, you know, Bobby is gay, I wanted to deal with, I don't want to deal with this, this idea, this possibility in the story, mm-hmm. you know, that there are parts of himself that he's hidden away and that it's time now to actually be with them and be with himself. Yeah. And it's such an effective way of doing, I mean, it's heartbreaking, but it's so effective too, because it's, I think it, it, it mirrors sometimes longtime fan arguments of like but but look at all the girlfriends <laughs> because the arc is all structured around the various relationships he's had um mm-hmm. and how he's still so dissatisfied and and depressed and confused right and, and i think mm-hmm. really exploring that yeah it is uh it's a good one definitely so people who haven't checked out that astonishing x-men run definitely definitely recommend it all right i want to i want to give you one last x-men question and then we okay can, cool we can wrapping uh this one is from dr anna papard on on twitter she reached out uh, and, and this might be a deep cut. All right. So, okay, cool. What were your goals for the X-Men novel dark mirror? And she says here, AKA the best X-Men. Novel. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. That's really kind. Um, <laughs> wow. Well, first of all, the, the questions off of Twitter have been really good. Um, yeah. okay. Okay. Uh, let me, let me think about this. Okay. Hmm. Context, right? First of all, I loved writing that book, uh, but here's, here's the context. It was, only the second novel I ever wrote professionally yeah. um, in the first year of my official career as a writer. And if it hadn't been for that novel, I don't think I'd be here today talking to you about comics. Mm. Um, that novel was my foot in the door at Marvel. Yeah. And it's what got me noticed. And I really was not shy about trying to leverage it to get more work writing comics. <laughs> <laughs> What a good question. Um, the follow the a- follow up question she has, and I'll give you this for maybe yeah. a, a little context or a road to go down, um, uh-huh. is how did you decide which body swaps would be most meaningful for which characters? Oh shit! Okay, so <laughs> more con. Okay, wow. All right, so it's been almost twenty years. Wow, wow. I've been doing this for a long time. Oh, I have to take a moment. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Reconcile. Oh that. wow, <laughs> that number just came out of my mouth. Oh, okay. Okay. It's been almost 20 years since I wrote that book. Um, all right. Yeah. So my, okay. So my memories, my memory, wow, shit. Okay. I'm having a real existential moment here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Way to go, Anna. Good question. Yo, no, thank you. Thank you. No, it's been 20 years since I wrote that book, almost 20 years. So thereabouts. So my memories around it are really fuzzy and I have to apologize. Um, but I was 25 years old when I wrote dark mirror Mm -hmm. um i was you know really young really new you know what the hell did i know 
um, except I knew I wanted to write something that anyone could pick up, um, anyone who was not familiar with the X-Men and that they could just get into, you know, and I knew that it would have to be heavily character based. So I asked myself, like, what would evoke the most character and provide the most conflict? And my answer at the time was putting the X-Men in a situation where they are completely powerless and not in their bodies. Like, I was just going to go, I was going to go the extra mile. It's not, it's not good enough that they don't have their powers. They are literally not in their own bodies. Yeah. And, um, and the only thing I, the only thing I can remember right now, just off grip, is that Wolverine had to be a woman. <laughs> that's, that's all I, that's all I can really tell you right now. Cause it's been such a long time since I thought about the book and I, I can't, to be honest, I, I can't remember a ton, but I can tell you that Wolverine, I, I knew that Wolverine had to be a woman. Uh, I just, I just, in my gut, I was like, I got to do this. Like, cause that's just going to be fun. That's going to be insane. And I just went from there. Wow. Actually 20 years, probably more like 18. No, 20, 19. Oh, okay. <laughs> 20th anniversary is coming up. I think, Yo, uh, I think I we think could say, yeah, we're not I there yet. So. But it's, it's we're not soon. there yet, but we're getting real close. We're getting really yeah, yeah. close to that. All right. Definitely. Uh, definitely going to spark some interest in X-Men Dark Mirror after this, because it, it, it sounds really interesting. And I, I do love just the premise of like, yeah, this isn't just, um, you know, Genosian collar power napper stuff, right? Where they can just, okay, eventually they'll shake that off and they get their powers back. It's like, no, they're like just in human bodies. And, and what are they then? And, and what do they do? Right. Yeah, it's interesting. I wow, I don't even know if that book's still in print. I'd be stunned. That's a that's a back issue, paperback, you know, in in the back of the comic shop kind of thing, I, right? You gotta find the so. old copy. Yeah, maybe. Wow, deep dive. Thank yeah. you. That was a great question. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, Marjorie, this has been this has been fantastic talking to you. I really appreciate you taking the time. Oh, you're um, so kind. Oh, thank you. It, what else? What else is next for you? Like, what? What other stuff? Is there anything we haven't covered that you want to make sure people know about? Oof. Um, no, actually, I think I, I think we more or less did it. I I've got a third new graphic novel series starting in October of this year, um, which I cannot talk about yet. But let's just say that I, you know, I kept really busy during the pandemic. <laughs> yeah, sounds like it. For yeah. sure. Okay, so new launch coming in the fall. We'll definitely be excited for that. Uh, anything you're anything you're reading right now? Anything you're enjoying, comics oh, or otherwise, wow. that you want to recommend? Um, wow. Uh, I love anything that Robin Ha does. Mm-hmm. Um, her graphic memoir, All American Girl, is so good. And I love her cookbook. She did a graphic, um, like, a, a, like a comic book version of a cookbook. Oh, interesting. And it's amazing. Yeah. And uh, Jillian Tamaki is always a joy to read. She's super funny. And George Takei's graphic memoir, They Call This Enemy, yeah. um, is brilliant. And I've also just been reading a lot of, I've been reading a lot of nonfiction. Actually, that's been my... That's been my real kick, actually, for the last couple months. I was reading a book called Delicious. I think that's the title, Delicious. It's mm-hmm. about how flavor evolved and how uh, the search for flavor um, helped human humans evolve, mm. um, which is actually it's, it's really fascinating. And I started reading a book called The Ice Pick Surgeon about sort of the the history of bioethics and how like scientists and doctors basically uh, lose their minds when they, (laughs) it's basically like horror stories um, (laughs) about around ethical quandaries in science, which, you know, it's not light reading, but, um, but it's it's been a very fascinating book. Yeah. Cool. Cool. All right. Those sound like really good picks. All right. Final question. 
Do yeah. you have a favorite place to eat in Appleton, Wisconsin? I saw you went to college there. I oh, have family there. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I spent a lot of time there. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Really? Oh, so, okay. So the first place where I ever bought comic books on my own was Powerhouse Comics. In oh, Appleton. amazing. Yeah. I loved that place. I, you know, I, was, I went to Lawrence University and I just wandered in one day because Powerhouse was right down the street. And I, that was when um, Operation Zero Tolerance was happening in the X-Men. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so I picked up that issue. Like I just picked up in the middle of the arc, just random, random issues. Um, the X-Men, I picked up Batman, Wonder Woman. And I, you know, I marched out that day. and I Because I've been reading, I've been watching the, um, the X-Men cartoon. So that's how I was like, that's how I was getting my, my Marvel you know, injection. It was, mm -hmm. it was all the cartoon, but then I really wanted to see the comics and see what that was about. And powerhouse comics was my first comic book store. Amazing. And yeah. Victoria, Victoria's the Italian restaurant. Okay. That's, that's an Appleton, right? I, I don't know that one actually. Yeah. I think, I think that's an Appleton. There was a really good uh, Italian restaurant that I think was called Victoria's. Um, but also I was a poor college student. So I ended up a, a lot at like golden corral. Yeah, eating at sure. the buffet. Right. And so that was, <laughs> yeah. I can't say it was, I don't think it was probably the best restaurant in, in Appleton, but that's where I ended up the most because it was cheap and I could just, yeah, yeah. I could the just, standards. you know, stuff myself. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Okay. Awesome. So Marjorie, this has been great. Again, everybody listening will include all the stuff in the show notes. Um, is there anything like on social or website or anything you want to make sure people know about? I'm not on social media anymore. So you can just give them my website, which is marjorieandlu.com. Okay. And, and the advice there, which seems like Marjorie's definitely smarter than most of us to get off social. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's fair. Um, I'm Dave. People can find me, of course, at comicbookgirl.com. Uh, like and subscribe, you know, to the show and the podcast here uh, for more interviews like this. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram still, uh, <laughs> reluctantly, uh, at comicbookgirl. So thanks everybody for listening. And of course, enjoy the comics. <laughs>